0: Thank you both. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 17 and 21 through 26. Listen for a word from God. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who's been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they'd entered the city and went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters Together, the crowd numbered about 120 people and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had been fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts as we seek to learn more about you, in the name of Christ, amen. What does it mean for prayer to work? I uh, served as a youth pastor before seminary, and I remember one student coming to see me one day, about this time of year, when she was about to graduate from high school, and she was trying to figure out what to do next with her life. She had a couple of different options of very different things, and she felt very torn, and she had no idea what to do. And I remember very clearly her crying and saying, Sarah, I've prayed about this, but it didn't work. My prayers didn't work. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I wonder if you've ever felt that way about your prayers, whether it was something that you were trying to discern that you felt like you got no clear answer for, about something that you wanted or didn't want, and you just felt kind of stuck. What does it mean for prayer to work? Our story in this scripture speaks of a time of transition, a time of prayer, a time of uncertainty for the followers of Jesus, and it's such a rich story that um, we've spent two weeks with it. Pastor Garrett began with a little earlier part of the story last week, and today we read the end of it and a part that comes right after, but it's so rich with this kind of season of transition and tension. And many of us, I know, are in seasons of transition and uncertainty ourselves. It's kind of the month of May, it brings about a lot of that. There are graduations, there are people shifting jobs, there are people moving, there are people getting married. I see this with all of my friends and family members right now. This is a season of transition, maybe for you too. And so in this transition moments, the disciples are gathered together and Jesus is gone, he's gone up to heaven into the clouds, and the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet, as we will celebrate for Pentecost next week. And so they're stuck in this in-between moment between what is and what is going to come, and they feel stuck. So stuck that as Pastor Garrett said last week, Jesus has to send two angels down and say, stop looking up to heaven, (laughs) go do something. And they finally go back to Jerusalem to try to figure out what comes next. So the 11 apostles gather with the women, disciples, and all the other followers, and they make two very important decisions. Number one, they say, we need to be together. We don't really know our next steps, but we're going to go to that upper room, and we are going to be in this together. And number two, they decide this is the time to pray. They devote themselves to it, the scripture says. Night and day, they are gathered together, praying." And it's interesting because this is kind of a a critical moment for the movement of Christianity. This is the moment when either it grows into something or it kind of fizzles out. And a lot of us are conditioned in moments like that, kind of pivotal moments, to think we have got to rush into action. This could be the moment. We gotta go, go, go. We gotta do things. We gotta be productive if we want this movement to live on. But wisely, these disciples say, let's take a minute, let's gather together, and let's pray. Before they rushed to do the things that others might have called more productive. Do you consider prayer to be productive each year as we looked at we tell certain stories over and over again in our church year we tell the story of christmas every year we tell the story of easter every year we tell the story of the ascension every year we tell the story of pentecost but there's this one funny little story after jesus is raised up and before the holy spirit comes that we don't always spend much time with. It's the last part of the story that we read today, the choosing of Matthias as the next apostle. They've been in this room praying and they've come to the conclusion as followers of Jesus that they need to elect a 12th apostle. As we know, Judas, one of the original 12, had betrayed Jesus and led the authorities to him that led to the arrest and then crucifixion of Jesus. And so now they're down to 11, and depending on whose uh, version of the story you read, the fate of Judas is a little bit different, but he's not there regardless. And they say, we need to get back to 12. And part of this desire is that 12 is a holy, sacred number. In Scripture, in the Jewish tradition, it is a symbol of wholeness, of being complete. It goes back to the 12 tribes of Israel and a knowledge of God's fullness. So the disciples sort of discern together in this moment that before we go out to the ends of the earth, as Jesus had told us we would do, we need to become complete. We need to elect someone into this open position. And they decide uh, some of the qualifications for that. They say whoever it is should be someone who has journeyed with us the whole way. Someone who was there for the baptism of Jesus by John. Someone who went through all the highs and the lows of the ministry and life of Jesus. Someone who was there for the crucifixion, the resurrection, and now for the ascension. And I don't know how many total people were on that list, but they narrow it down to two. Joseph and Matthias. And they go back to God in prayer, it says, and said, help us figure out who you have already called to this ministry. And then they cast lots. This is a tradition that's very foreign to us today. The closest thing that I can think of that we uh, do in our culture today is maybe draw straws. I don't know if any of you have done this in your families. My family used to do drawing straws as a way to determine chores. And so one parent would put the straws in their hand and then We would pick them out as kids, and the short one always had to clean the bathrooms. That was always the short straw job. And the other ones had to do less miserable tasks. But the casting of lots was this actually very common way that people were elected, particularly into positions in the temple. And the qualified candidates' names would be written usually on stones and then collected in some kind of cup or vessel and shaken around. And then whichever one fell out is the person that was elected to that position. So we read about a couple other stories in scripture where, where the casting of lots happens. But some of us can read this and feel a little uncomfortable. This, this sounds like rolling dice or like gambling or like shaking a magic eight ball. This This is a bizarre way to discern the will of God. But somehow in the midst of that process, they felt the will of God and... Matthias steps up to become an official apostle. I like to call Matthias the understudy apostle. As I come from a background in ballet and lived the life of an understudy where you have to practice and rehearse the whole thing without ever knowing if you'll get a chance to be a part of the production and you learn it so well from all angles and all sides and you never know, but in a moment, you might be called in if the dancer gets sick or injured. And so here, Matthias has been, not even necessarily knowing that this would be an opportunity, but journeying all along from the very beginning, and now he's called to be a part of the Twelve and the mission as they go out. The story has some unique elements and things that seem a little foreign to us, but I think it has a lot to teach us, particularly about moments of transition, moments of uncertainty, of loss, of confusion, of excitement— Moments where we wonder about prayer, if prayer works, and if prayer is productive. First, I think the story teaches us the importance of being together. These apostles, as they're trying to determine what comes next in their lives, are not sent out to figure it out alone, but they are committed to being together, to listen for the will of God as they pray and speak and wonder with each other. Second, it reminds us of the importance of a practice of prayer. Prayer looks different for every people and in different seasons of our lives. Some of you shared last week about your own prayer practices and what is meaningful about it and what you hope to do with prayer and how you actually do it. There's one quote that I always go back to in my own life, um, particularly in times where I'm wondering if prayer is productive or if it seems like my prayers aren't working and it's a quote from dietrich bonhoeffer he says prayer does not simply mean to pour out your heart it means rather to find the way to god and to speak with god whether the heart is full or empty prayer isn't just spilling out your heart it's about finding the way to god and speaking with God there, regardless of the condition of our heart. I love that. A friend of mine uh, became a pastor at a new church a couple of years ago now. And when he started, he um, was told by his congregation about a a problem the church was having that's really, really very common. They uh, had a nursery Sunday school program for young children that happened during the worship service And they were having a really hard time finding volunteers to help with this, mostly because it was during the worship service and people wanted to participate in worship. And and so they struggled to find folks and they decided, okay, we're gonna hire some workers to be our Sunday school teachers. We'll hire childcare workers. But they soon discovered that it's really hard to find committed Christians um, to apply for these jobs because it was happening on a Sunday morning and many committed Christians who love children are already involved in their own churches on Sunday mornings. And so the session came up with a sort of interesting uh, compromise solution. They said, okay, we'll, we'll hire a childcare worker, even if they don't believe in God, um, as, l- you know, as long as they love children and are great with kids, but we'll have them study the curriculum, learn all about the lessons they have to teach, and we'll give them a quiz. And so before these workers began teaching, they had to take a multiple choice test based on the curriculum for kids, but the stories that they were supposed to teach about God's love. And I, I don't know what those questions looked like, but this was their way to sort of compromise. This person might not be a Christian, but they'll, they'll be able to teach our kids the important things. They'll know it. And as this church uh, came to learn, there is a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Do we want our children to be surrounded by people who know about God or who know God? The disciples discerned through their prayers that that 12th disciple should not just be able to pass a Jesus trivia test, should not just know about Jesus, but should have known him firsthand and journeyed with him through the ups and the downs in the whole spectrum. In prayer, we come to know God. Not just to know about God or to teach God about our own problems. God already knows all of that. In prayer, we come to know God. This story gives us a glimpse into one of the ways that God shows up in prayer. If you'll remember, these uh, disciples recognized the need for choosing a twelfth. They prayed about it. Then they decided together what the qualifications would be, and then they cast lots. Often we wish that God would answer our prayers very directly with a loud, booming voice from heaven. Go to this college. Choose that person Take this job. And so we feel like our prayers don't work when we don't hear that booming voice from the clouds. But this story right here in the Bible reminds me that God is still working in our midst, in our minds, in our hearts, in the people all around us. Because in this story, God is present in the discussions of the disciples about what would make a good qualification God is present in the casting of lots. God is present in the lifting up of Matthias the understudy. This prayer in the Bible wasn't answered with a booming voice from heaven, it wasn't dictated from high on above. It was answered with time and uncertainty in prayer and conversations with other believers and even with a tradition with stones. God collaborates in our prayers. God doesn't coerce. I've shared uh, with some of you before, I had a pastor mentor who once said, never pray for something you aren't willing to get involved with. If you were going to pray for the issue of global warming or racism or transphobia, you better be willing to be a part of the solution. God collaborates with us when we pray. After that, pastor uh, had spoke about that at his church. One of the parishioners said, Well, I better start praying for Hawaii because I'd love to collaborate with God there. (laughs) Prayer, both alone and in community, helps us to know God and to become collaborators with God. There was this fascinating study where they scanned the brains of Franciscan nuns as they were involved in the practice of prayer. And what they discovered, particularly when they were praying together in a group, was that the part of the brain associated with sense of self began to shut down the deeper they got into their prayers. Science points out all kinds of mysterious things about prayers and the ways that it can help our immune system and lower our heart rate and increase our empathy and social awareness. Particularly when we're together, we're called to pray both alone and in community. If you're in a season where it feels like prayer isn't working, know that you're not alone. Know that we would always love to pray with you as pastors, as other members of this congregation We love receiving prayer requests. We have deacons that pray for you regularly. We have prayer request cards if you ever want to fill one out in the pew or email us on our website. We are in a community of prayer and we commit to praying with you and for you. And as you do pray, remember that prayer is about finding the way to God so that we might know God more. And all along the way, God is a collaborator with us. Would you pray with me now? Gracious God, prayer is such a mystery. Sometimes we wonder if we're doing it right, or if we're being productive enough, or if you hear us. God, sometimes we just need to sit in the silence and listen. Lord, remind us of all of the ways that you work in prayer through those around us, through traditions, through feelings, through voice. Allow us to be people tuned into that who know you more. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to rise now as you are able as we sing.